Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 3. It'd be helpful here to remember the closing words of Exodus chapter 2. The last three verses of chapter 2 read as follows. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Closed quote. Now, notice that phrase, those many days. This is a long and slow process. A.P. Baker said once, God is not in our kind of hurry, closed quote. I think it's important for us to understand that. When we get in trouble, we want to be rescued now. When we are sick, we want to be healed now. But God is more crockpot than microwave. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tends to do things slowly, sometimes over multiple generations. Moses was in the land of Midian for 40 years. That's a long time. That's a long time for the Israelites to be suffering the terrible plans and oppressions that we read about in chapter 2. And that's a long time for God to be working on brother Moses. In chapter 2, he was too sure of himself and too reliant on human means. He needed education and preparation, surely. But 40 years... I remember thinking that seven years of university and seminary was an unreasonably long course of study for becoming a pastor. But here is a man spending 40 years learning how to become a pastor. Remember, the word pastor in English means shepherd. And that is exactly what Moses is learning to be. We see that in the opening words of chapter 3. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Most scholars believe that Mount Sinai is near the southern tip of what we call today the Sinai Peninsula. If you know the geography of the area, it is roughly midway between the two northern forks of the Red Sea. The text says that Moses was in the area seeking pasture for the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro when he saw a very unusual sight, a bush that burned but was not consumed. God obviously used that mysterious phenomenon to attract Moses' attention. 
Moses sees the strange sight and moves closer in in order to examine it further. When he does, God calls to him out of the bush. This is an example of what theologians call theophany, an appearance of Almighty God. Verse 2 says that it was the angel of the Lord who appeared to Moses, and yet for the rest of the narrative, it is the Lord himself who is speaking. God is the one calling to Moses and speaking directly to him. So what are we to make of this angel of the Lord? D.A. Carson says succinctly, and I think helpfully, this angel of the Lord is some manifestation of God himself, closed quote. Most scholars take a similar view. So A.B. Davidson, for example, says, This angel is not a created angel. He is Jehovah himself in manifestation, identical with Jehovah, although also different. Closed quote. And of course, as soon as you use a phrase like identical with God, although also different, you begin wondering whether this angel of the Lord should be thought of as a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And many scholars go that route. For our purposes, it is enough to say that it is God himself speaking to Moses, the all-powerful and omnipresent one. However, because he chose to appear in a particular location for purposes of revelation, it was therefore appropriate and necessary, given Moses' limitations, for him to do so by means of a recognizable representative. We should probably also just notice that this is the first use of the word holy in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, we get the concept of holy time with the Sabbath, but here we get the idea of holy space. Moses is told to recognize that through the relatively simple gesture of removing his sandals. Lastly, we should also notice here that Moses is not receiving a message from a new God. God makes that clear. He says that he's the same God who appeared formerly to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is more information about the same God. And that's how your Bible is put together. This is what theologians refer to as progressive revelation. The revelation is consistent and cumulative. That is true from stage to stage within the Old Testament, but it is also true as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. R. Allen Cole says helpfully here, In its day, the Mosaic revelation, while a fulfillment of patriarchal promises, was as new and shattering to Israel as the coming of the Messiah was later to prove to be. Closed quote. So this is a major turn of the dimmer switch, you might say, that greatly increases the clarity with which the Israelites are seeing and understanding God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now here we see that God is slow in working out his purposes, but he is not indifferent to our suffering. He has surely seen the affliction of his people who are in Egypt. These two truths must always go together. If God were slow to see and slow to act, that would be intolerable. But rest assured, God sees, God knows, and when the time is right, God will act. God will stir the pot and begin to work his purposes of redemption. Notice also that salvation is always from and to. God is going to deliver the Israelites from Egypt and take them to the promised land. As in the Old Testament, so in the New. Our salvation is from and to as well. It is from sin and it is to a restored relationship with God along with all the good and glorious things that go along with that. God tells Moses that he is going to do this work. And as a fulfillment sign, he tells him that he will bring the people of Israel back here to worship on this mountain. Fulfillment signs are interesting because they require the person receiving them to act first in faith. In essence, God is saying, obey me and see if I don't do for you exactly as I am promising to do. It would take a great deal of faith to believe that one day a ragtag congregation of escaped Hebrew slaves would worship God on this mountain. This mountain wasn't even on the way to the promised land from Goshen. It was completely off the beaten track. So if they ever made it here, surely it was God who was leading them. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this is not the first time that we encounter the name of God in the Bible. The name of God, Yahweh, appears in Genesis many times, but this is the first time that the name is explained. The flow of the story leads us to understand that in the generations following the time of the patriarchs, the people of Israel in Egypt had begun to be paganized. They had lost their intimate knowledge of God. They had become religiously Egyptian, or at least religiously syncretistic. So here, by means of this special revelation, they are being brought back deeper than ever before 
into intimate relationship with their covenant God. Now, as for the meaning of the name, we're told in the ESV translation that it means, I am who I am. And most translations offer something very similar. The JPS Torah commentary says, either it expresses the quality of absolute being, the eternal, unchanging, dynamic presence, or it means he causes to be, closed quote. I suspect it intends to be understood in both senses. The name of God seems to be saying, I am the one who has existed forever and who has the power of life within himself. And that makes sense because logically, in order for anything to exist, something must have existed forever that has the power of life within itself. There are only two potential candidates for that something, either God or the universe. But the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this name is consistent with that revelation. God is the one who has existed forever and who has the power of life within himself. And this God is now speaking to Moses and now moving to save his covenant people from cruel bondage. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, it has sometimes troubled modern Western readers to see God here instructing Moses to ask Pharaoh for permission for the Hebrews to take a three-day journey into the wilderness. We know that this was never going to be a three-day journey. This was a permanent departure. So, is God misleading Pharaoh? Most scholars believe that this is just an example of our unfamiliarity with ancient Eastern customs. This was how requests were made in a humble and polite fashion. This is how bargaining worked. You began with a very modest request. If that were granted, you would up the ante a little bit. Think, for example, of Abraham's negotiation with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This sounds an awful lot like that. So this was always going to be a permanent departure. But Moses was to begin with a very humble and moderate request, which Pharaoh arrogantly and tyrannically refused, thus setting up the power encounter that God had willed in the first place. The Lord will show himself on behalf of his people. He will set them free, and he will send them out, not only with permission, but laden with gifts and reparations. Yahweh is merciful, powerful, and just. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, 
You can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.